Hey everybody, Captain Andy Comics is right about to start, but there's a lot of great podcasts on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, including this one. I'm Keith Conrad. And I'm Misty Callahan. On Geek Counter Geek, we'll tackle the tough questions that keep you up at night. Like, who is the better captain? Kirk? Picard or Crunch. Plus, you'll get to chart our progress as I try to write the great American novel. And I try to create a comic book. It's Geek Counter Geek on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Thank you, it's Caffeinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. J.B. Anderton is on the show today. He is the host of the Bat 77 podcast and the host of the former Who 37 podcast, the Doctor Who podcast. And he reached out to me to talk about the Crisis on Infinite Earths events that happened at, on the CW, which Stephen and I have mentioned in a few of the episodes. But right when we went to record this, the first episode of Picard came out. We both watched it. We both had a lot to say about it. So most of the conversation revolves around Picard. We still get to Crisis on Infinite Earths, and we get to a little bit of Doctor Who. It's a lot of sci-fi on television right now, so let's get to it. I was a pretty big next gen fan back in the day. I, I do remember uh, when Encounter and Farpoint uh, debuted, the pilot episode of, of the Next Generation. Uh, I remember watching it, and it's like, yeah, this is kind of Star Trek. It's kind of hokey there, and I don't know about that. I think I might have gotten through the Naked Now, and then I just like dropped off for a little while, and then. I, I got back into it right around the time they killed off uh, Denise Crosby's character, and I stuck through uh, through the entirety of season two, and then for some reason I dropped out again, and then I think I came back just as season three was ending because I heard that the Borg were coming back because I really liked the season two Borg episode, and uh, I just started watching it from there and watched it through the entirety of the rest of the series and then eventually caught up with the reruns on of, of season one and the season three episodes that i missed so yeah, yeah I, I i was really I, big. I, so yeah i mean i was really big i mean uh back in the uh, early 90s i think was when we were at peak star trek because that was when uh the last uh original crew movie came out um, right around, uh, it was also right around where Gene Roddenberry died. And I was actually going to school at SIU Carbondale, and I was involved in the local chapter of Starfleet, which is an international Star Trek fan organization. And each of the chapters that make up the group uh, are their own starships. And I was actually uh, part of the crew of the USS Loxley. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're pretty deep. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had very similar. I, I feel like most fans kind of had this uh, a similar track to you. Um, at least people people of our age. I know millennials. They believe that Star Trek began with Picard, uh, which really shocked me when the J.J. Abrams movie came out. Was a lot of millennials didn't really care. No, I was like, look, it's Kirk and Spock again. They're like, yeah, I don't really care about Kirk and Spock. Um, I was a big. I became a big. Star Trek fan after Wrath of Khan. Yes. I, um, 
My that's when I started watching. Yeah, that's because actually when I started watching it, because I was aware Star Trek was on. Um, I was always, I mean, I was like a big Star Wars fan since age nine. You know, I was, you know, I, I saw it August 77. And then I, I didn't really start watching Star Trek until after Star Wars was winding down. And I remember um, I spent a weekend, I, I spent a week uh, at my grandparents and my grandfather would uh, sit at his, on his lounge chair smoking a cigarette at six o'clock and watch reruns of Star Trek. And I'd sat and watched a few episodes with him. And then I watched the Wrath of Khan. It's like, that's more of my speed because it's much more like a, a Star Wars type movie. And then eventually I got yeah. to watching most of the episodes. Yeah. I did the same where it was something that was just on in the background. It was around, uh, I was Star Wars changed my whole trajectory. I gave up superheroes for the entire time. That trilogy was running, and I just wanted more space. Uh, we all went to Star Trek The Motion Picture, and I fell asleep. Oh, my gosh. Uh, which, which I have proceeded to do just about every time I've seen Star Trek The Motion Picture. <laughs> I've got the director's cut of it on DVD, and they did do a lot of trimming, and they did update yeah. a lot of the effects. It's much more it, – it's actually a lot like, a, like, like an 80s, 90s episode of Star Trek. Yeah, I still fell asleep during that one. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Rathacon really grabbed me. I remember clearly it was when the, the theater in my neighborhood added a second screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother and my sister went to see Annie. And my father and I were like, we're not going to see Annie. <laughs> and he took me to Rathacon. And again, Rathacon is the best of those movies. It does a really good job of pulling you in without having to be a fan beforehand. Mm-hmm. And then when, when Spock got, I was just not prepared. And then I started to go back and watch the original series. So I was hardcore. And uh, people forget that one of the reasons Next Generation came out in 87 was that Star Trek Four was such a big hit. That's right. So the, the original cast was at their, you know, their comeback peak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a chip on my shoulder of like, these characters are not Kirk and Spock. And I did the same thing you did. I, I hung on through most of the first season there were a couple of uh, guys in my class that liked it. I just, I, I just would see an episode here and there. I know I saw, I saw when Josh Yard died, and I saw when the Borg appeared, uh, but I didn't come back until Spock showed up. Which oh yes, like season five. Season, yeah, season five be, to cross promote Star Trek Six, which was the final original uh, cast movie. And I remember watching that episode just for him and going, "Wow, this show got really good." And then I was hooked. And there was a local there was a local station on UHF that would show it every night. In the end of college, I I started watching that, and Deep Space Nine had started up, and mm-hmm. then I was uh, then I was hardcore Star Trek, and then uh, Voyager and Enterprise started to lose me. I would still I. I tried to hang on Enterprise for a while. And, yeah. um, it was, what's funny is that when Next Generation uh, came on in 87, I was still way deep into Doctor Who at that point. And yeah, I, didn't, I did not disco- really get into Doctor Who until it came back. Right. So, uh, but I was watching you, you the old – Yeah, I, I was watching all the old you – know, the classic episodes on PBS uh, late at Sunday night. And I mean, they were, I mean, well, they were probably still rerunning like the Tom Bakers and Peter Davison's. And um, I think it was around that time they started showing the Colin Bakers. And then eventually we got Sylvester McCoy. Uh, and then probably like 
around 1990 is when they stopped making it the BBC and then the PBS station stopped buying the Doctor Who packages and that was right around the time we reached peak Star Trek and then I just sort of like right. well I'm just going to be like in Star Trek land now. Yeah, and that, that's also around the time that the X-Files comes on. So there was and then uh well, I was not into Hercules and Xena but those became really Yeah, I never got on those either. I never really got those. But we had, there was plenty of sci-fi where Doctor Who, and actually Star Wars at that point, up until the special editions came out, all of that was in the past. And Star Trek was way more current than Star Wars. Yeah. Now we have, now we have The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. And I've not yet seen yet. Oh, it's very good. Uh, <laughs> I've heard a lot of good things about it. I'm sure I'll yeah. eventually get a chance to to see it. But uh, I, I do not have Disney Plus. Uh, I do not have Star Trek. I do not have CBS All Access. But I was able. I do have my sources uh, as far as uh, getting to see Picard. Well, then we won't get into comparisons between Picard and Mandalorian because I, I feel like both of them are saying something very strong about their respective franchises. Mm-hmm. But what did you think of the first episode? Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I sat with my girlfriend, uh, watch it. She likes, she'll sit and watch a Next Generation episode with me and kind of tolerate that. Uh, I was really taken uh, by the uh well i i i've read some early reviews uh a friend of mine clint worthington uh who reviews for the spool he used to do the alcoholic with podcast he he was able to get a screener of the first three episodes and he says that uh you know certainly patrick stewart is a highlight but it's kind of slow going and it's like it's a really slow burn and i really kind of appreciate that because it's it's really starting it's really taking its time to tell this story. And, you know, we start off with uh, uh, Picard having the dream uh, with Data, which I'm not I'm not certain whether he's dreaming or if he's being beamed uh, these images uh, because he might still have some Borg technology in his brain. Yeah, or... that's that's well, we'll get into that. But I really thought the Borg was going to be the central plot and they haven't touched upon that at all. Well, but we did is, close on a we did close on a Borg cube. Yes, we did. That Romulans are running. Oh, and spoilers for the first episode of Burkhard, uh, obviously. Um, the, it does take its time, but I agree with you. I appreciate that. We actually would say this a lot about Mandalorian. The fact that we're only getting one episode a week mm-hmm. instead of here's the entire season uh, means that you have time to think between each episode. Yeah. Whereas when something's on Netflix, as good as it is, I'll spend a weekend watching that show and then it's gone and mm-hmm. I'll, I've, I'll forget a lot of it. And all I'll really remember is, oh, that's a good one. You should see it. Yeah. But I can't I can't recall scenes. I can't recall plot points because I don't have that time. I don't have the, those days in between to go, well, what did that mean? And where is this going to go? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's actually increasing my enjoyment. And with Picard, I'm glad that it. I'm glad that it's slow. It's it's very much a character piece. It's very much uh, an environment and a setting. It's mm-hmm. not it's not so heavily plot driven uh, yeah. that I can take my time with it. And this is also the only Star Trek show that has one central character. We don't have to spend a lot of time introducing everyone and showing how they'll work together. There right, are which... going to be supporting characters in this, but they're not as important as Picard. It's more important to spend more time with Picard than to say, spend time with Alison Pill's scientist character. Right. Yeah. I've actually heard, um, 
uh, some reviews saying that whenever it, it does, whenever the scenes don't involve Picard, uh, the interest seems to wane. But uh, I mean, it's always with that with new, with brand new characters. You know, it's like, well, who are these people? I don't know who these people are. Um, I actually came into it very, very, very cold. I didn't really hear much about it. Uh, I did hear that Patrick Stewart. Um, said basically that he was not he did not want to do another Star Trek show uh, in the times that we are in right now uh, so I, I know that he's an executive producer of the series and had a hand in the direction of the story and um, I think uh, what I've seen so far uh, it has done successfully uh, what I think the current season of Doctor Who has uh, failed to do is to uh, address the issues of the day uh, within the sci-fi allegory and not uh, just like basically lecturing to the viewer, staring straight to, into camera. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I've been. Uh, we can get into Doctor Who because I know you. You you're a Doctor Who expert, and um, I've been into it for the last decade or so. I've been very frustrated with Doctor Who for oh, God, I gotta say the last four years. I I, I I share your frustrations. I do for I do share your frustrations, but we will yeah, certainly but, talk about that later. But there is that that hammer on the head kind of thing when they talk about they do an episode about um, Amazon or they do an episode about climate change and they just stop. I mean, it's almost like a like a fat Albert. <laughs> they stop, stop the episode cold to to tell you the lesson. It's like, well, if we would all share, it would be better. But you're right, Picard. Picard drops you into the situation of that the world the world has changed and he has to play by different rules because society isn't what it was. And I love that idea that we're we're not in a dystopian future, which everyone has done. I don't know I mean, if we ever were in a dystopian future. I mean, a lot of that. Star, well, not on Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've only seen the best of Starfleet these last fifty plus years. Um, I think there's always been a seedy side to Starfleet. Um, we, we had the scene where uh, the girl is attacked at her apartment, and oh I, yeah, and I assumed that that was going to be that was Section Thirty One. Mm, from Deep Space Nine, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, it turns out they're Romulans. Right. Um, and when you get it, when you get into, it, I didn't even know if they were, uh, if they were robots because they were so covered head to toe. But I love the fact that it's it's not a dystopian future; it's a faded republic. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what Lucas was trying to do in the prequels and show how a great society becomes a terrible society you know it, because of selfishness and i feel like picard is doing that elegantly with saying this is the way the modern world is going mm-hmm. it, you know we had everything we had everything we needed and gene ronberry always said oh we'll forget all our troubles and we'll get together and we'll make earth perfect and we'll go out into space and i i feel like yeah that's something to aspire to but how do you hold on to that and we would see we would see like evil people in the Federation, but they were always rogue agents. They were always, right. you know, they'd catch the one person and be like, well, it's good we caught that person. Yeah, you or it'd know, be a conspiracy uh, like Star Trek VI. Uh, right. But it'd be with... four people in the conspiracy, yes. and they'd arrest all of them. <laughs> and now this, this kind of philosophy that the Federation doesn't have to help people 
because it was the first time I've ever heard the word resources used uh, by the Federation. The right. Ferengi but I, would talk about money, but but they said, oh, we basically said we can't afford to help the Romulans. And right. I think a lot of it is based on fear, though, because, I mean, the Romulans yeah. were I mean, they were basically the allegory for Russians uh, in the mm-hmm. 60s and into the 80s, you know, during during the Cold War. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it's certainly, I mean, you can't help but, you know, see a parallel between, uh, our immigration, uh, issues that we're having today. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's all, it's all based on fear. It's fear of the unknown, which is kind of funny because it's supposed to be about exploring the unknown. Right. But they're, uh, they're showing that sometimes you can't trust the people you're going into the unknown with and that, and Picking Romulans makes a lot of sense because they've always been duplicitous. The the strength and the problem with Romulans is that there isn't quite as much there. I mean, the, the big reveal is, oh, they look like Vulcans. That's all they really had in the original series. Right. And then once the Klingons took over in the movies and Next Generation, when they got their whole culture, they appropriated a lot of things. I mean, the the Klingon battle cruisers were originally Romulan ships in an episode, and then the original series was so strapped for cash, they just used the same model for both of them. So, Actually, I think that's a reverse. I think the Klingon ships, uh, I think like the season, there's a the season three episode of, of original series. Uh, I cannot, the Enterprise incident. Uh, yes. Where they're, 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 in, uh, they're, they're in the neutral zone and then the, the ship decloaks and Scotty's like, that's a Klingon ship, Captain. It's like in Spock cuts in, it's like, you know, uh, update for you. Uh, Roblins are now using the Klingon design for spe- for yeah. starships. <laughs> but both both civilization have birds of prey ships. Yes. So there's always been this Romulans have always kind of been this secondary thing where they're always poised to be the big villain and they never quite did it. But they're always scheming behind, behind the scenes. So the fact that they would be welcomed into our society, you could understand why people would be suspicious of that. And it's a real reversal from saying, oh, no, we're friends with Klingons. Klingons are great. Klingons are hilarious. They have wine and songs and, you know, and they have fruit juice on our ship. Yeah. And there's one on the bridge. Um, Romulans have never had that ease with it. Because honestly, storytelling wise, if Romulans are your friends, they're Vulcans. So there's there's got to be something outside. But I love the fact that even when you achieve utopia, as Gene Roddenberry's vision was for Earth, is if you're not vigilant, you lose it. And that's where we are in Star Trek, which I've never seen before, is that yeah. they've and that's, lost and that's sight where we are. Of, of their aspirations. Yeah, and that's where we are right now in in America. You know, this this mm-hmm. is supposed to be the land of the free, and um, we're, it's, we're, we can lose it like that. Yeah, it's, and some some would say we are, and England in the same place. I know Patrick Stewart is very against Brexit. Yes, and there, and that feeling of, of turning your back on your brothers. Yeah, uh, I do. Which, I do like. I do like how they sort of exposit like the history of of Pat, of Captain Picard, why or Admiral Picard, because he did reach the rank of Admiral. Yeah, uh, we're sitting down with the reporter, and yeah, okay, reporters from the twenty fourth century are just as skeezy as they are now. Um, but we basically get we get the backstory uh, of what mm-hmm. happened, 
and that and we get we get all the setup that we need and I think I think that was master, masterfully done. Yeah, cuz there was going to have to be a big dump of information and every revival and we're in this golden age of revival television this in many ways this is just like bringing the X-Files back for two seasons or doing another Twin Peaks. Uh, you know, let's pick up these characters 20 years later and you have to fill in that big hole. Um, Picard, as much as it's being a different show and not a Next Generation reunion, we still have followed this character. We last saw this character in 2002. And this is actually, I mean, it's all in the future, so it's a little wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. But uh, Picard is supposed to be 90 and Patrick Stewart is 79. Wow. So we're supposed to believe it's another 10 years. So basically... If it was in real time, this show would be made in 2030. Yes. So there's been a long gap. And obviously, um, my wife and I were talking about it. Uh, He's doing much better at 90 than Professor X did at 90. (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of actually – the first few minutes was kind of a learning curve for me because it it was weird – seeing him back as Picard because the last time I saw him was on Logan. Yeah. And that hey. was that was incredible. Just I, oh, I was that still was maybe a, the best X Men movie. Oh yeah, maybe pr- probably at least the top five comic book franchise movies of all time. Yeah, and he said Logan actually got him thinking about Picard again because he said he'd never do Star Trek. I remember there was an interview years ago where he said, "I'll never put on that spacesuit again, but I'll sit in that wheelchair as many times as they want." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he did say that visiting Professor X in his 90s and seeing what had happened to that character. And as a, as a big comic book fan, one of the things I loved about that movie was I never read a book that did that. They weren't adapting anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's an old man Logan story. It's nothing like the, the film. But yeah. then he started to think, well, OK, this is where Professor X ended up. Where would Picard end up? Yeah. And it's, it's a great story, which I'm sure will become lore. Uh, that they pitched it to him. They went in uh, and they said, look, Patrick Stewart doesn't want to do Star Trek again. I know you have a great idea. He will listen to it. You'll have a nice afternoon. You'll leave. You'll get to meet Patrick Stewart. And that's what happened. He said, oh, okay, thanks, guys. Not interested. But then he started to think about it. Mm-hmm. And and he called up and said, you know what? There's some good ideas. Why don't you write all these up? And um, that's when they brought Michael Chabon in. Because Alex Kurtzman is it, Alex Kurtzman, who uh, used to be partners with Roberto Orsi and wrote the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek, is now running right. all of the Star Treks. He's running Discovery and Picard and the short treks, the uh, this animated series that's coming. He's mm-hmm. kind of Rick Berman now. Right. Um, but he, they brought in Michael Chabon, who wrote Cavalier and Clay and Spider-Man 2. And Will Wheaton just interviewed him on mm-hmm. the after show. Okay. And he said, they brought me in and then told me that Patrick doesn't want to do it. But, <laughs> <laughs> so he said, but I had a bunch of ideas. And when Patrick said, do you have any ideas? He said, I gave him pages and pages and pages. And we didn't use any of it. None of it is in the show. Wow. But it showed him that we had thought things through and that we weren't just trying to, you know, dust off the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the thing about Patrick Stewart does not need to do this show. No, he you doesn't. Know, he's not a he's not a fading star in any sense. 
I yeah. think I, I I think he's driven. I think yeah. I mean, I just keep going back to how he didn't want to do utopian, you know, you know, future in today's world. Well, let's. What can we do? What can we do? Because I, I I know he has a lot of things he wants to address, and this is the best way of of going about it. And you know, I think Star Trek has I I, I think Star Trek has a much more um, vast audience than Doctor Who because I mean I one yeah. thing that irritates me about Doctor Who is that uh what they're doing as far as uh you know bringing up issues uh, aside from the the, the ham-fisted way of doing it they're basically preaching to the audience because I I really don't think anyone who is far right or leans towards the right is going to watch Doctor Who because it's a silly right. British show yeah, it's very nerdy. It's very sci-fi. I know it's more of a mainstream show in Great Britain. I mean, it's an um, institution in Great Britain. I think that's well, you know why yeah. it's it, it's still on. It's because it's an institution. Yeah, I think I I've always thought it was the British Star Trek because Star Trek is an institution. We went we went maybe five years with no Star Trek. Right. It was we the longest um, the longest break we had. Well, it was the 70s. We only had an animated series, and then we had Star Trek The Motion Picture at the end right. of that decade. But we had that four- or five-year gap when Enterprise was canceled and J.J. Abrams hadn't made the first Star Trek yet. Yeah. And there was this feeling that something was missing because it is our Doctor Who. It is our institution. Yeah. And as much as it's going in every direction now, and um, it's another reason that Star Trek feels like X-Men, not just for Patrick Stewart, but they have all these competing timelines that mm-hmm. – I've just decided to give up on. I mean, we have three actors playing Mr. Spock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes in the same film. Yeah. <laughs> that, now, n- now the, 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 the Romulan star going Nova is, was that part of the, was that the, the thing that actually caused the new timeline to happen? Uh, yes and no. It okay. was the thing. Uh, I, th- I actually forgot about it. It was in the backstory. It was the inciting incident. It's when the Romulans became refugees and that they um, were shunned by the universe. And the villain in the J.J. Abrams is a Romulan who um, who hates the Federation for turning his back on their people. Uh, Spock was trying to help them as well as Picard, as we learn in this first episode. And there actually is a comic book called Countdown about Spock and Picard, which came out around the time of the first J.J. Abrams film. I remember that, yeah. But the time warp that sends Spock and the Romulans back in time is a separate incident. Right. Um, but it's – and it's odd because with Star Trek Discovery, when they said it was set before the original series, and then I saw the look and feel of it, I'm like, well, it's set before J.J. Abrams. But then Pike and Spock show up, and it's a third version of them. Um, but now with Picard, they're saying that both timelines are valid because that J.J. Abrams movie – happened in Picard's timeline, but Picard is still the same Picard that was on The Next Generation. I think I can kind of see it as uh, a separate, I mean, once that incident happened where Spock went back in time, that set up an entirely, I think they actually tried to explain it in the first Star Trek J.J. movie, where it basically set up a new timeline. So everything that happened in the 60s still happened. It didn't actually like wipe everything out. But it's 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 now it's now on a separate track, right? And having Leonard Nimoy in those movies, kind kind of stated that. I think where I get lost is Star Trek Discovery, because I'm because I don't know what 
timeline. Of yeah, I, I watched the it first can't line up to the 60s. Yeah, I, I watched the first season of that. And then um, I, I I didn't keep up with it when it went to season two. I just went back because I dropped CVS. And now that I picked it up for Picard, I, I was like, well, you know, I might as well watch Discovery and make it worth more of my money. And people had said the second season's much better. And I watched the first episode today and it was very good. Okay. Like it was, it was head and shoulders above Voyager and, and Enterprise. Yeah. You know, um, I'm, I don't know that I could say it's one of the best, but it really, I think they fixed a lot of the problems mm-hmm. that we knew. They, you know, they leaned into making the characters stand out a little bit more so you could care about them. Uh, the action was picked up. It was less murky. Mm-hmm. I um and they said it just gets better and better as it goes along. Mm-hmm. So I have to I have to find. I, I'm sure I've got someone who can probably hook me up with the the season two of that. Yeah, I will say the the one thing that really surprised me about Picard was it made Nemesis matter. Yes, <laughs> and it fixed it fixed the problems I had with the Nemesis. Actually, today I ended up working from home, so I put Nemesis on. Uh huh. To catch back up, and I'm like, oh, Nemesis is still a terrible movie. Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. It's it's, it's absolutely a, horrible. Yeah, it's it's such it's such a mess. This is like the third time that Troy gets mind raped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a podcast, which I think I might rerun. Uh, before Caffeinated Comics, we had a podcast called Audio Commentaries on Audio Commentaries. Oh yeah. And what we would do is put the director's commentary on, and I have two or three stand-up comics back when I was doing stand-up, and we would just respond to what the director was saying about this awful movie. Mm-hmm. And, and I always remember Nemesis, uh, Jared Logan was with us, and Nemesis, he was getting so frustrated that they were just sitting and talking. And then they're, they're, the ships start fighting, and then they just stop. And Tom Hardy's like, meet me in your ready room, and he's a hologram. And Jared stood up and was like, wait, they're stopping the fight for more talking? <laughs> It's it's terrible, but the, um, they really fixed data because I hated hated the back door the back door out of having B four there. Right, but then the the movie didn't do well, so it's like, well, we're not going to do anything with it. But uh, when we pick up with the new series, Picard is still very shaken by losing data. I mean, he yeah, and that's he's his best friend. That becomes the spine of it. Is um, I knew he'd be haunted and I knew he'd be alone, but there's all there's many reasons for that. Um, I also think it's interesting that actually I think this is one of the reasons they set it ten years ahead of where Patrick Stewart is mm-hmm. because I was doing the math and we are about twenty five years after the final episode, which jumped twenty five years into the future. Yes. So they so they set it ten years past that. So maybe the characters were in that position, but of course, a lot of that timeline was wiped away. You want to talk about alternate timelines because they're on the Enterprise D. Yes. And you know the Enterprise D is destroyed in the next movie. Yeah, but that Um, I mean, is it a dream or is it or is it a vision? You know. It's. I think. I think it's a. It's a Scrooge uh, portents of what things might come. But Troy is dead in the future, and we know she's going to be on Picard. Yeah. So that won't come to pass, but they also still didn't want to step on its toes because it's considered one of the greatest finales of television. Yeah. Actually, what I meant was like the first shot of Picard 
is mm-hmm. a shot of the Enterprise, the, the yeah. Enterprise D, not Enterprise yes. E. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you it's destroyed here, and why why is why are they why is he playing cards with Data on ten forward, you know? And well, and there was there's so many. Like, this must be a dream. Yes, but but there were so many subtle nods. First of all, they're playing Blue Sky, which is the end of Nemesis. Data oh, really? sings it at Riker and Troy's wedding. Okay. And beef, as um, Picard leaves before, before starts singing it. And that's the hint where you go, oh, all of Data's memories are in there. He's going to become Data in the next movie. But then my, they, favorite but moment in this episode, my favorite moment in this episode is Alison Pill, who I've always liked since uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Uh-huh. But she's basically like, oh, B4? No, that guy's fucked. You want to see the drawer where we keep him? <laughs> it was like, it just, they went out of their way to just say this guy's not coming back. And that made Data's death mean something. I mean, they did the same thing in Star Trek Into Darkness when they repeated Wrath of Khan by killing Kirk. But then they brought Kirk back 10 minutes later. And it's oh, like, no. you can't, the death doesn't mean anything if it's, wiped away i mean gene gray was dead for five years at least yeah you know when i started reading x-men there were no plans to bring gene gray back and that hung over the characters so i love that data's death is hanging over the characters and they're living in a society where it's illegal to bring him back right yeah because it was the synthetics that wiped out mars yeah yeah which is i very very curious there is a short trek if you can find it Mm-hmm. That is actually um, it's actually a beautiful little eight-minute film. There's not much dialogue, but it's about two 12-year-old girls that are going to school, and they don't get along, and they're fighting. And each of their parents uh, works on Mars and can't come to visit them. And they right. have a fight in school, and they get separated, and the principal's a Vulcan because, of course, he is. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden on the television, they show that Mars has been attacked. And it's like a 9-11 kind of moment. Oh, wow. And then, and then they bond. It's really well done. Uh, it's really beautiful, actually. But they show Picard's face about, like, that he's reacting. And it's like, oh, this is this is a prelude. This is what Moffat used to do in Doctor Who, where he would do a five-minute YouTube video. Yes. Before, before the season would start and just kind of tease you even more. The best example of that was when he brought the eighth doctor back. Which oh I yeah, I, I I fell out of my chair when I watched <laughs> that because I I was like, you must play this video. So I was like, okay, I'll play this video, whatever. Yeah, and then I hear Paul McGann's voice, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, and he was wearing a different outfit, and they were just like, and he mentioned like six different companions, and it was that same thing of Picard, like we need to fill in his entire career. Yeah, um, they did it in a really fun way. Marfit used to be great. Um, I have not heard good things about Dracula. Uh, no, neither have I. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, not even bothering with that. I think no, there's supposed through- to be another. Isn't there supposed to be another Dracula production that I think Trisha Helfer, who was uh, Caprica Six on Galactica, is playing Dracula? She, oh, that's interesting. She was just on Lucifer. And you know what? Uh, speaking of which, yes. And speaking of alternate timelines, yes. Let's get into Crisis, because you were really excited to talk about it. And yes. We, we were planning this before the episodes aired. Yes. Uh, I, watch, I watched all five. Okay. I talked about it on the show a few times. Yeah. I am pretty confused. <laughs> uh, honestly, every time someone walked into the room that was not in a superhero outfit, I did not know who they were. <laughs> but well, I, it's, I, yeah, I, I jump out of my chair. I'm like, that's Killer Frost. I know who that is. <laughs> 
I didn't I, know the Martian Manhunter was in it for three episodes, <laughs> and then he turned green. I was watching it with my son. I'm like, oh, the Martian Manhunter's in this. <laughs> I can, I can understand. There were literally two very pretty women that were sad, and I don't know why they were sad. Yeah, I think if it was the first episode, I think one of them is uh, Supergirl's uh, adoptive sister, okay. and the and the other one's Lena Luther, who's uh, Lex's sister. Oh, okay. And it was yeah. right be- and, and right before that, um, uh, well, uh, the, 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 it, I I understand your frustration with not knowing the characters and not following along because you, I mean, I think what. Uh, the CW DC franchise has done successfully that the DC movie franchise failed to do was to set up. I mean, they'd play the long game and yeah. they set up the, at the very end, they set up the justice league. Right. Yeah. And they, they actually unveil a table. Yes. And they all, and they all sit down. It's, it's, but it's such it's an odd Justice League because it was a Justice League comprised of the characters they have created. What's really which, weird is that which it, don't include characters they set aside for movies. So there's no Green Lantern and there's yeah. no Batman. Right. Well, I mean the whole thing and about no Aquaman. No Aquaman. Well, the whole thing about the the the, the what well, the Arrow. I don't like calling it the Arrowverse. Um, yeah. Well, I hate it. I hate Arrow, and that's been my barrier to yeah, I, getting I'm, deeper into these shows. Right, we got. I mean, I mean, we we started on Flash uh, when it came on Netflix, and kept up with that. We we watched Supergirl from the beginning. Uh, we, of course, we started watching Batwoman this year. Really enjoying that. Uh, we have binged through the first four seasons of Arrow just to figure out who all these characters were. Right. And then we started like a few episodes in the season five. And it's like, you know what? I think I'm done. I think I'm yeah, done. Yeah, I had the same I had the same feeling with uh, Flash. I got into about season two. And then I just like, I'm just too old to care about Iris and Barry getting together. I know they get together. And then she dies and there's a trial and stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, like I, way, I, 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 like, go ahead. I like the way they do the superhero action. I think Grant Gustin is like John Mulaney, so I like him even more. <laughs> yeah, what did you think of the the uh, the crossover with the the movie Flash? I thought that was it was really interesting, um, and I read that the it was the movie studio that came up with that idea. And I love I loved all the little cameos. I loved seeing Robert Wool. Yes, you know, uh, and Burt Ward, and it's uh, I. The Smallville was really elegantly done. Was mm-hmm. like, oh, you just you just ended the Smallville series. Yeah, in a- that that was a series I couldn't get into. I I got into like maybe the first eight or ten episodes, and it's like, oh come on, he's just pa- pining over Lana every episode. Yeah. I just no, I just I, couldn't do it. That was a show like Arrow where I stuck with it because it was the only superhero show on. So yeah. and they had and it started with Arrow, and I mean the thing was they so desperately wanted it to be Batman. And yeah. it's it, and they couldn't they couldn't do it as Batman, so they basically set up. I mean, to where they had Ra's al Ghul as the main villain in season three. Really? So yes. That, that I didn't even know because I I do know that Doctor Bashir played Ra's al Ghul in Gotham, and that kept me in there another season. Yeah, but no, they and had that, they had Ra's al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, as season three, and uh, they had his daughter, but his daughter wasn't named Talia. It, she was actually named Nissa, which is actually named after a Doctor Who companion from the 1980s. 
Uh, that's interesting. Nissa Al Ghul is in the comics, though. Greg Rucco wrote. Really? A, uh, yeah, Greg Rucco did a book with Klaus Janssen called Death and the Maidens, which is really good. And it's mm-hmm. about the rivalry between Talia and Nissa. Okay, it's, well, Talia's nowhere to be seen in, in Arrow. Interesting. I think probably because of Dark Knight Rises. Probably, yeah. Um, and, you, you know, Liam Neeson didn't really come back. So all of the shows started using Raj or Raish, depending on. Who decides to pronounce it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did like those little nods. There was a Birds of Prey cameo where they wiped out that universe. Yes. <laughs> uh, there was. I I did wish they did something for Gotham. Like I I. Oh yeah. There's. I wanted to see you know Donald Logue. That show just ended. Like yeah. You know it's not a deep cut. Um, no. And they could have had Dean Kane come back because she he actually was he played um he played uh, Supergirl's earthly father uh okay. when she when she landed on well basically uh she the whole thing with Supergirl was that she took off on the rocket uh she was supposed to basically take care of Clark cuz she was like 8 or 10 when she left Krypton at the same time as baby Kal-El but then she like her she went off course and she went she was like in the phantom zone for like a few years and then by the time she finally found her way to earth uh Kal-El has like grown up and became superman and he was like right, right and, there. That, and now we're getting a superman and lois show yes it's replacing arrow which i find really interesting that well they're also that, having they're also having a green arrows and canary show that's actually replacing arrow because it's basically uh green arrows daughter from the future has taken over the mantle see this is where it, it kept losing me i <laughs> want so he dies yes and, and becomes then, a specter because he's veteran, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Just, I, I get- love the bit where he's just like, okay, I'm going to come back with you all. Then suddenly this guy with a beard comes out. It's like, hi, I'm Jim Corrigan. I'm the Spectre. You're going to be the new Spectre now. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I mean, there was a run where Hal Jordan was the Spectre. So there have been – there is a precedent for other dead superheroes becoming the Spectre. Mm-hmm. But then then he dies as the Spectre? <laughs> And he's like, he fights the anti-monitor as the specter, kind of like the crisis cover. Yeah. But then the anti-monitor kills him. And I'm like, but isn't the specter dead? <laughs> like, the specter is a ghost. Well, that's the thing about... He- yeah, that's the thing about this whole crisis thing, because it's like I think it's pure for me. It's it's just pure fangasm, and it's just like all all these characters getting together, and the plot makes no sense. Because like in episode three, uh, they find their way to the the cosmic treadmill, and um, yeah. they're always saying, "Okay, Flash is doomed to die in crisis. Flash is doomed to die in crisis." And it's like I, it's not going to be Grant Gustin that bodies it. It's going to be John Wishley's ship. And, yeah, and it's and it's not. And that was – see, this is where I get confused. It was not even Barry's dad. It was the John Wesley ship from the 1990 Flash universe, wasn't that's, it? Yes, that's correct. Okay, because but he also, but he also plays Barry's Jake. dad is the Golden Age Flash. Right, because Barry – well, Barry's dad got killed uh, at the end of season two by, by uh, Zoom. Uh, uh, okay. And, uh, and then uh, who was a guy who was posing as Jay Garrick. Uh, but then they find the real Jay Garrick, who actually looks like, you know, Barry's dad. So he's playing. He play, He plays both Jay Garrick on Earth Two, uh, and then he plays his version of the Flash in I think it's Earth Ninety. 
And JB, you you're saying that these shows are not soap operas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's and that's what keeps me out. I think it's a brilliant idea Berlanti's got of like I'm gonna mix the the CW when it was the WB got its got its start doing Dawson's Creek yes. and doing doing you know basically the next version of 90210 just brooding teenagers and that's okay, what Smurfer was. I have to take a but I do have to take offense. Well, okay. I, I'm not taking offense, but I I do have to, I do have to kind of. Um, I don't know. I, I, I have to sort of jump in here. I, 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 I have heard you call it like, you know, teenage angst, teenage drama and all that. And yeah, there's yeah. kind of, I mean, they're not all like horny teenagers. I mean, you want to go there. You want, you just go watch Riverdale, which we gave up on because that's just went batshit insane. Oh, I didn't even start that. Oh show. my God, that thing. I don't know what they're on because it's just like, they just like every left turn you can think you know you can't even think what are they doing with that show yeah but yeah. um i mean i really liked i mean I, I i like watching the flash and i like i like supergirl and i like batwoman flash reminds me like it, it kind of has the buffy setup because you have mm. you know the, the main character uh you know grant gustin being the flash and he has a support group of uh, caitlin snow uh who is killer frost and uh uh, Cisco Ramon, who uh, is Vibe, and they're like the Willow and Xander of the group. And then you had uh, Harrison Wells. Well, you've had like 10 Harrison Wells in the series. Yeah, because he was Professor Zoom. That was the big reveal at the end of season one. Yeah, he, he was actually the reverse Flash. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's about where I started to drop off. Right, but he's played like 10 different characters on the show. So he was kind of like the Giles figure on that first season. Right. Uh, and so it, it you just you got comfortable with the characters and then um like I said we started up Supergirl Arrow we, we, we've been watching the first four season of Arrow that's very much like Angel which was then oh, okay. out yeah because Angel he's the was, broody guy and he's like Angel I gotta save was, the city Angel was harder to get into I when I finally watched Buffy they were both done and yeah. I was I was binging. I was binging with discs because mm-hmm. it was before before Netflix started streaming. So you would just you would just order the next couple of discs in the season set. And once I got to the point where Angel started, I was like, okay, I know these cross over a lot, so I'm gonna get a Buffy disc and an Angel disc. And Angel was always a tougher watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think probably I I mean the second series the second series of Angel I think was probably my favorite one because they they really got into the mythology of uh, of you know his time as Angelus and they re, re res, they resurrect Darla who was his sire yeah. and they brought all that in and they had you know Drusilla and Spike in there as well and you really got deep into the history of of this character um but yeah I mean I remember getting into Buffy because like I had some friends who were like really he was like you got to watch Buffy and it's like and I was like you with the CW shows I was like oh this is just like right. <laughs> and that and that's how they marketed it Yes. They, every commercial, Joss Whedon said he used to drive him crazy that they wouldn't say Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's like, you need all four words to get what this show is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's like, he's like, you know, Buffy says romance, Vampire says horror, Slayer says action, and they would just say Buffy, and it would just be, it would be slow motion shots of Buffy and Angel. And yeah. I was like, you know what? You know what? I thought the movie was kind of clever. I'm not watching this. 
<laughs> and then it was it wasn't until after Firefly when yeah. when Serenity came out, I was like, wow, that was really good. And people said Buffy was good, and it's the same guy. All right, and then right. I got really into it. Yeah, I, I mean, the first one of the first DVD bo- uh, uh, box sets that I bought back in like the year two thousand was Buffy season one, and. Uh, mm-hmm. They always tell you like that's the worst the worst season because it's kind of like the first season of Next Generation. It's like kind of hokey and the effects are bad and yeah, it's not as everything. bad as the first season of Next Generation. As no God, both, no. As we both said, it pushed us out, and we're as sci-fi nerdy as you as you could get. We're so sci-fi nerdy. I'm sorry we weren't extras in Galaxy Quest. <laughs> so are you giving Batwoman a shot though? Because I know you've watched I, Batman. Type show. Yes, yes, I love Batman. I watched the first one and I liked it, and then um, I just didn't have time to watch it. And then when Crisis came up, it was only like episode eight, so I was like, you know what? I could probably fill these in on demand. I like Ruby Rose a lot. I thought she was great on Orange Is the New Black um, before I dropped that, and then she was in John Wick Two. So I like that she has a show, and I think they're doing a. I think they're doing the best job, but I worry about them about just being pulled into all of these different shows because the Batwoman episode was my favorite, even though it was odd, even though these aren't listed as their own shows, it, they're listed as crisis on infinite earths, but they're on their That's time just, slots. Yeah. They're in their time slots. And when you go in, on demand, it says Batwoman episode eight crisis on infinite earths. I just talked to a friend of mine who missed all of them. And he said, yeah, and he's like, I'll wait for the DVDs to come out. I was like, I don't think they're going to do a crisis DVD. I think you're going to have to buy four they seasons. Might, though. They might. I wouldn't be surprised if they put it all on one set because this was a this was a sort of a major event. I mean, if you I mean, we watched them through the CW app and you can like yeah. it, once you get there, it's like watch all five episodes now. So you can actually watch them without having to navigate through all the shows. Well, that's good. Yeah, because uh, there were a few times I had to go look up on the internet. All right, I know Crisis Part 4 was out. What show was it actually? That was was Flash, yeah. Yeah, but if you focus on that show, the Batwoman episode was the best episode. It had that amazing Kevin Conroy sequence. Oh, my goodness, yeah. The first time Kevin Conroy has ever played Batman in live action, it was eerie to see a voice come out of a human face. Yes, that was kind of weird because I actually I think the second time I watched it, I closed my eyes. Yeah. You know, because it's like, OK, now I now I'm getting it. I, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm getting it now. But, yeah, that was just because they, they, they build him as the kingdom come Superman. He was really the Frank Miller one, the Frank Miller, uh, the Batman. Well, uh, it was, I, mean, I mean, there was a line that was lifted straight from the fourth book of Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, but I feel like there was an arc to it that I thought was beautiful. Where it starts out being the Kingdom Come Batman. Mm-hmm. Then it starts to become Batman Beyond. Yes. Because he's like the old Bruce and he's like talking to Batwoman. And then it becomes the Dark Knight. And then you find out he's just murdering people. Yeah. And it was like every – it's really only two scenes. But uh. every minute he just gets darker and darker. I would not be surprised if they figure out a way to bring him into Batwoman. Well, where, I mean – this, this whole setup is that Bruce is gone, right? And so they might he might they might bring him in, you know, eventually uh, having him come back. I would not be surprised if they did that. And that is my only problem with Batwoman, um, and it was my same problem with Birds of Prey, which was a terrible show mm-hmm. uh, that I eventually saw all of and regret. 
Uh, but both of them, because Batman's not in it, start out with the premise, oh, Batman's left. And I feel like Gotham, Gotham started out with that premise or hey, or the way Gotham Central, the book, did it was, yeah, Batman's in his book. He's yeah. just not here right now. And then I think because of the problem of Batman not being there, they made it a prequel, but it's a prequel where every single villain's running around. Yeah, but um, but with, with, with that woman, I think it's standing up on its own though, because we don't have we had one mention of like the Joker, in okay. in, in one in one episode, but it, it's basically centered on the Alice character. Uh, I did read mm. that a future episode they're who going was to have. In this? Yeah, who was yes? Yeah, uh, they said Alice, and and I was watching it with my son Ben, and he's like. He's like, who's this? I'm like, I don't watch the show, but she said Alice. I'm guessing she's a Mad Hatter. Yeah. Well, yeah. She she's based on the Mad Hatter. Yes. Or uh, well, not 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 the not the Batman villain, but yeah, it's basically Alice in Wonderland. But I did I did read somewhere that uh, I think maybe this coming up episode or a future episode they're going to be introducing Nocturna. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that was a character they tried to use on Batman the Animated Series and weren't allowed. Yeah, and, but but the last episode, I mean, the, the the episode of Batwoman that I want to talk about that happened after Crisis, uh, kind of steering it towards what I have my problems with with Doctor Who, was that um, at the end of the episode, Batwoman came out as a lesbian, uh, okay, because they which, had sorry, which Kathy Kane, which Kathy Kane has been in the comics, yes, since they relaunched her in fifty two in two thousand eight. Right. And yeah, and Ruby Rose, I believe, is yeah. Because there, there was, there was, there was a, there was the, the whole plot was like there was this, this, this kid that was like hacking into everyone's phones and like hacked into like the, the, the train system and almost crashed a train. And it was because, uh, her girlfriend broke up with her and then outed her to her parents and then, uh, she basically was taken revenge and she had this, the, this scene where she's kind of like crying over that, you know, the best that I can hope for is just to lead a closeted life and like I would be represented by some uh, tertiary character on a, on a television show. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, Batwoman, uh, for some reason, Batwoman is forced to reveal her identity and is like, oh, my God, you're uh, you're Kate Kane. You're like the biggest lesbian in Gotham and and everything. And and at the end, she actually well, she um, sets sits with an interview with uh, with Kara, Supergirl who's writing for Catco magazine and she outs herself to the public because they were kind of trying to hook her up with this cop that was kept mm-hmm. being, he was like at the scene of the crime and like, he like helped rescue her a couple times. And it, like everyone started gossiping about all oh, they're a couple. Now they're a couple now. And it's like, well, no, no, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to mislead people like that. So I, I, I like how they sort of, they worked it into the, they worked it into the story uh, whereas Doctor Who, um, I mean, I, I really like the, the two-parter uh, season premiere. Uh, See, I didn't even like – I didn't even like that that much. I, I was hoping after last season where it just felt like a procedural that, okay, let's get some of that magic back. Let's get some of the nerdy, dorky energy back. And it was like, well, we've got the master, but okay, he's kind of a typical master again. Yeah, and I I just haven't felt it, but uh, I, I I will say though that I mean looking back on it, um, they are using a lot of tropes and a lot of uh, a lot of just a lot of stuff that they've had on these first four episodes, is stuff that they've done 
many times before in Russell T. Davis, in and in and in right. Moffat Who. It just it, they just keep going back to the greatest hits, and I'm not really I I don't I I don't really know how I feel about Jodie Whittaker now. I was I mean I was a champion of her when she got the role. Um, I was hoping for the best. I I I, I like her as a person, but I find I find her character with the Doctor very annoying now. I, she's like a hyperactive children's presenter uh, from, from the BBC. And, she, and a lot of times she's acting like the doctor and she's not being the doctor. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I asked my girlfriend about it and she's like, yeah, there's just something I don't like about her. And I think it, it, it took her a minute to kind of pin it down. But she's just like, she said, she doesn't have the gravitas that you need to be the doctor. Yeah. I, I, I like Jodie Whittaker. I like her as an actress. I thought she was amazing in Attack the Block. I thought she was great in Broadchurch. I was also uh, very excited that she became a doctor. I think my whole problem with the show is is that of tone. Is yes. That it's no it's no fun to watch. I even have not even finished the Nikolai Tesla episode. Hmm. Uh, um, that was just uh, seemed like okay, yeah, we've seen it all before. This is all kind of. It's yeah, it was a it's it's just a bad it's a, a average episode of Doctor Who. It's like yeah yeah it's a, it's it's an episode of Doctor Who. That's all you can that's all I can really say about it. Yeah, it's funny when Orphan Fifty Five started. Um, my son Ben was he was really into Matt Smith, and he was okay with, with Capaldi. And I feel like Capaldi's second season was amazing, yeah. and then the other two the other two weren't that great. I've um, done a I've done a major reevaluation with Peter Capaldi. I mean, I still think most of his episodes were horrible but yeah. i he he was just an incredible actor it was just a shame that he never really got a chance to really grab onto that role because i think he really could have been um like the 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 next best doctor after tom baker for me yeah i think well he has one perfect episode and that's that's almost enough for me and it's and that whole season with when with clara going away is good enough for me to put him up there and i was really excited about him I, but I feel like Doctor Who is no fun to watch. And it's Chibnall is a good dramatic and horror writer, but he's he's taking it so seriously. There are way too many companions and oh, not, God. Much, not much to differentiate them. They were no. they were they were cast as three different types, but it's like what it's like the eighties all over again where they land on a planet and now there are three people saying, Doctor, what's going on? How can we get out of this? Yeah. It's like you don't need three people to do that. And they're no, all, no. and because of that, it's crowded and you don't get as much chance with the doctor. I she's keep... not in control because she's just she's just part of this group that has no direction. Yeah, I mean it's just like I keep questioning why are they even there? And it just seems to me that they're they're they're, they're like our support group. They're like they're, they're like support animals that the doctor needs in order to get through Whatever there's, you know, that's like they—they're just there for moral support. They really have no function at all. And no, you know, I don't even think they're there for moral support. I think they're there because she has a fucking time machine. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, but, we want to stay on this yeah, time machine. But yeah, but but, but like Yaz, you know, Yasmin, who's like the, the the character who's like served the worst because she has no character development whatsoever, and she's supposed to be a she's supposed to be a police officer. And it, they sent her in the last episode to like do crowd control, and she couldn't even do that well. I mean, it, it, Thomas Edison had to come in and just basically try to scare every people to get out of the streets before all the the scorpion monsters come by. Yeah, and 
there is like there's just like I said, you know, Doctor Who never makes sense. Star Trek, which we spent most of uh-huh. this episode talking about, always tried to ground the science as much as possible. But- and you could go back and go, well, that actually doesn't work. Space doesn't work like that. Matter doesn't work like that. But with Doctor Who, it's magic. It's just magic. Where he's just like, oh, yeah, I looped the time around and I threw this planet at it over here and now now we're fixed. And it's that loopy goofiness that makes it run. So to have these four people that are taking it very seriously mm-hmm. and just going, okay, well, what's this monster doing? And all right, well, you go over there. You go over there and you go over. It's it's like Scooby Doo is mixed with CSI. Yeah. And it's like the reason I watch Doctor Who is because it's it's weird and silly and very very British. Yes, that's and why it, I got into it in the first place back in the in the in the mid eighties. It was just it's yeah. this weird show. It's just, it's it's very British. It's it's just very eccentric. It's very cheap. But Tom yeah. Baker was just he's just fun to watch. And it was, it was too weird for me in the eighties. You know I and. Would, and and Doctor, I mean Doctor Who. I mean, you have to understand Doctor Who for me at a time. I mean, I was I was a very introverted geek in high school. I had zero game, and you know who do I have to look up to? I had to look up to uh, to Han Solo, who was like a smuggler and a rascal, and Lando Calrissian, who was always trying to get into Princess Leia. And you had Apollo and Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica, who was always like macking on women. You had Buck Rogers, who, who for some for some inexplicable reason had not one but two women macking on him on that show. <laughs> I don't get yep. that at all, you know. But then Gil Gerard. Yeah, exactly. Do, very was, doughy Jill, Gil Gerard, you know. Yeah, but it was 1980. That is the time to be Gil Gerard. I suppose so, but. I, but you can't be Gil Gerard in '98. You couldn't be Gil Gerard in like the mid two. I, 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 I saw Gil Gerard. He was at a local sci-fi convention in St. Louis, and he was just. It, it's really kind of sad seeing like all these sort of has been sitting at the autograph table and like no one's there talking to him. It was just yeah, yeah. That, but, but that's every actor's fear. Yeah, but but really, what really got me into Doctor Who because he was just this weird guy. He's a centric guy. Who had who basically had no interest at all, or you know, didn't even know how you know you relate to a human being, much less a woman. And he just he was he was brilliant and he was funny as hell. And it's like yeah, I I really I really see I can see myself in this character where I couldn't see myself as Apollo or Starbuck or Han Solo. Yeah, yeah, I I feel like the energy of that show when it's right is. The doctor is running so fast, and the companion's just trying to keep up, and the doctor really doesn't have any patience to slow down. With this doctor, she's like, she's she's like a kindergarten teacher. She's like, she okay, is. everybody gather around. Okay, we're all gonna do this together. All right, everybody feels validated, and that's the, that's one of the things about the doctor's character that I love is that um, the doctor is in love with being smart, mm-hmm. and that's. There's nothing the doctor loves more than being the smartest one in the room and being able to tell everyone that, that he's the smartest one in the room. And I just feel like because they're trying to take a female seriously, they're treating her as an equal, but the doctor's not an equal. The doctor's better than everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and that's the struggle that I, I feel like we just need somebody funny to come in. You know, when you mentioned that they're doing the greatest hits, we were watching Orphan 55, which – 
was decent, and then they hammered home the message at the end. It could have been a lot more subtle, but um, that's when my son was saying, yeah, I'm not watching Doctor Who anymore. I was really into it uh, before, but he said, you know, I really like the episodes where they're like trapped on a spaceship and they meet six people and the people just die one by one. And then we're 15 minutes in. I go, well, that's what you asked for. But then <laughs> still, by the end of it, we were all just kind of wanted out. Well, I think the problem is that you're, tr- you're trying to tell like these stories with all these characters in like 50 minutes. And I think Doctor Who is just very clanky because it's like it's trying to be what it was. It's, it's trying to be. A uh, an anthology show with an arc, and I don't, I still don't think it works. I think mm-hmm. you know the whole thing about you know the master destroyed Gallifrey because he found out the truth about the Time Lords, which we're not going to see until like the end of the season. They're going to just put right. that aside, you know, right. because we're going to like fuck around with everything with all these little stories that it's 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 filler. It's just basically filler. It's just filler that it's just there to like. Sort of, so you can bide your time until they get to get back to the ark. And you yeah, know, and I think it, I think you have to do one or the other. You either have to you either have to have standalones or tell an arc these days. Because yeah. the the Mandalorian, and I I will avoid spoilers because I know you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. But the Mandalorian was having this arc, and it was amazing. And every week, people were like, "This is the greatest show ever! I can't believe how good this show is! I can't find the action figure!" Like Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda. People are going insane. And then mm-hmm. they had two standalones, mm-hmm. like episodes like five and six out of yeah. eight. And everybody of those weeks said, oh, I think it's over. It's not good anymore. It's it's not great. And then the last two were the season finale. And then it was great. And I was like, you know yeah. what? Nobody had patience. Everybody was so locked into this arc. No one had patience for another story right now. Yeah. And Doctor Who's kind of running through that old engine. Kind of, It's like the X-Files engine where I- – Okay, we have we ha- we have uh, season finale, season premiere sweeps. That's our continuity. Nothing else matters. Yeah, like, I, I I think I will I, I think I will close out with I think, you yeah. know, Doctor Who, up until recently was always a show that was I mean well there was there were times where it was ahead of its time, and then when it wasn't ahead of its time, uh, was when. It would needed to be taken off the air. I mean, it it got that way in the late '80s, um, and I think it's just getting that way now. It's just, it, I mean, when it came back in in 2005, um, it took what Josh Whedon did for Buffy and ran with it and did so well with it, uh, and then it just started to. I I think you know with Moffat, I've had all my issues with Moffat, which I won't get into, but. With Chibnall, I mean, I, I remember when Chibnall was announced, I, I said to myself, well, it's going to be boring, but at least I'm not going to, like, yell at the television set every mm. time. And yeah. that seems to be the case. It's just, it's like, yeah, I'll watch it, but I'm not, I'm no longer doing a podcast about it. I ha- I stopped doing Who 37 uh, last year. And, you know, I, I, I really have no interest in, you know, in the fandom. I, I, I kept... I, I kept out of the loop. I was completely surprised that it was the master. I mean, that was a nice surprise to have. It's like, yeah, oh, it was. It was. It was that at least at least they pulled that off. But then they spoiled the hell out of it after that episode came out. You know, the right. BBC and, marketing and department of, just went nuts. A lot of the fans were annoyed that uh, they threw away all the the development with Missy. But um, 
but that's my problem with Doctor Who having arcs to begin with yeah. is it's impossible to have arc to have character arcs with a time traveler because the, the this used to confuse me with the Daleks where they would use the Daleks once a season mm-hmm. and even in classic Doctor Who the He'd be jumping all over the timeline, but when he would meet the Daleks, the Daleks were like, Doctor, last time you met, you destroyed us this way, but now you cannot. And I was always like, how do the Daleks know that? Is it, did it happen last time for them? And, you know, for the master to come back, oh, well, what happens after Missy? Well, well, maybe this master is before Missy, maybe is not. Like, nothing really counts if it's not linear anymore. No. You know, and that's the problem. So, you can have character arcs, but you can't leave the Doctor to have them. Like, you know, like Amy and Rory could have character arcs because they moved in a straight line with Matt Smith. Yes. But, you know, when people go away and come back, the, all the rules are gone. I mean, they had fun playing playing with that with River Song. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I mean, that, 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 I mean, that was that was a, a, a it was an interesting idea. But then it's just I. I it was really hard to buy the chemistry between Matt Smith and uh, Alex Kingston. It just yeah, I, but I I don't think it really worked. Uh, and then the, it, the, whole, the whole I mean the whole idea was that they were going in opposite ends, and then the, the you know the first time that Doctor met River Song was the last time, and she, and and she which was David Tennant. Which was David Tennant. So that was supposed to be the first doc. That was supposed to be the doctor that didn't know who she was. And yeah. that and that was it. That was going to be the end. But now you go to Big Finish, and she's met all the old doctors by now, and she's actually like like had she's had adventures with all the masters now. It's yeah. just well because she's like they, a fan. There was an episode where she had she had everybody when uh, she met Peter Capaldi. Yeah, that was the one doctor she didn't even know about, so she didn't believe he was the doctor for most of that episode. But they had a nice chemistry. Yeah, and, and because. They, the, yeah, that's because and, she thought that he thought she thought that he used up all his regenerations, and you know yeah. that was because but, but because yeah because because Christopher Eccleston didn't want to come back. They had to write in John Hurt as an extra doctor, right? And so they ran out, and so so then they just again magic. Then they just yeah. oh some light comes in, and well let's put this orange light on his face, and now it's unlimited. It's like a <laughs> video game. Now, so um, where is to wrap up? Yes. Since since you're our Doctor Who expert, where are are you frustrated with Doctor Who? What's the lowest you've been in your fandom with Doctor Who? Is it this, or is it like the end of Sylvester McCoy? Because as you said, in the '80s, it was time to go, and I agree. Oh, it's really interesting because I mean, in in some ways, I I, I it's really hard. I, I can't really describe it as a low point for me. I mean, the lowest point for me was when I was bitching about. Stephen Moffat on my podcast and getting mm-hmm. into fights with other Doctor Who podcasters. That's the lowest part that's ever gotten to me. You know, when Sylvester McCoy ended, I mean, we had a very few sci-fi options. I mean, we had Next Generation. Right. We had Red, we had Red Dwarf, which basically took you know Doctor Who's time slot in my local PBS station. And mm-hmm. I, I I went through Red Dwarf for a while, and then Mystery Science Theater came out. And right. I was big into that, and then you know, and then got into X Files, and then got into Buffy. Uh, it, it sort of kind of a linear progression, and then went back like the the, the circle is now complete when Doctor Who came back. Uh, yeah. Doctor was, Who only comes back about a year or so after Buffy ends. 
That's right. Yeah. And then, but now, I mean, I think if they were to, if Doctor Who were to end uh, this year or like the next few years, I mean, we have so much stuff to watch now. I right. mean, I, I, I mean, I mean, I really got into, I mean, after I stopped um, doing Who 37, that's when I really got into the CW shows. I, I kind of dived into that. I didn't dive really, like, really deep into the fandom. There's only, like, I think I only listened to one podcast um, that deals with, you know, the, the whole CW DC universe, but I, I, I enjoy watching it. It's one of the few things that my girlfriend will watch with me because we have a varied taste in television. Um, yeah. But that's one thing, that's one thing that we'll both sit down and we'll watch flash and we'll watch Supergirl and we'll watch Batwoman. Um, and, but, and there's, I mean, when we have, you know, Picard right now and there's just so much out there that, yeah, that, that does, I mean, it's, kind of, it's kind of Doctor Who has kind of been crowded out uh, right. of of the market. I think. You I mean, it had its time with the heights of Tennant and Smith, and then I, I I don't think it's ever going to get that way. I think you're going to need to at some point give it a rest, give it another decade, and then let someone else do it, uh, and bringing in something new and something fresh. Yeah, I, you know what? It reminds me of kind of my uh, feelings about the Star Wars prequels was one of the biggest problems they had. Um, first of all, they were inferior films to uh, the ones on either side of them, but they were never they were never the biggest thing out there because what Phantom Menace came out after The Matrix. Yeah. Attack of the Clones came out after Lord of the Rings and against Spider-Man. Yeah. And then Sith, Sith came out right around the same time as Batman Begins. There was always a better option. Yes. I think that's where we are with Doctor Who. And bring it back full circle to Picard. Picard is was one of the things I was excited about because Patrick Stewart is probably my favorite actor in all of Trek. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's probably John, one of the best actors that we have out there today, not oh. just in sci-fi, but just out ever. I mean, I can watch that guy for, I mean, I used to sit, I mean, every Christmas, my, my, my parents and I would like, we had a cassette tape of him reading the Christmas Carol and they'd always be like asleep by the end of side one. But like every Christmas we would sit there in the dark, we turn off, we turn, we would turn on all the Christmas lights and we'd listen yeah. to Patrick Stewart read the Christmas Carol. And wow. it was amazing. Yeah, I saw, um, I guess it's about five years ago now, my wife and I flew into New York to see Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen when they were doing Waiting for Godot on Broadway. And it was, it was like a rock show. Their acting was so powerful, both of them. Uh, and they didn't chew the scenery. You know, yeah, they, no, they don't, they don't they need to. They don't need they to. They fill, they filled the room. It was like, it was like Paul McCartney on stage. Oh, wow. They're so powerful. But I feel like Picard, not only is Picard living up to my expectations, which were fairly high, because honestly, if Next Generation didn't have Patrick Stewart, I probably wouldn't have stayed when I came back. Yeah. But um, you talk about your girlfriend and you watching the CW. My wife hates Star Trek. My kids hate Star Trek. <laughs> if I am watching Star Trek alone, which is the only way I can watch Star Trek, I get dirty looks when people accidentally walk in the room. <laughs> and, um, and my wa I ended up watching Picard twice last night because I got home. It was a long day. It was 
not a good day at work. Yeah. <laughs> I canceled our podcast. And I said, yeah. I'm watching. I looked at my son and I was like, I'm putting on Star Trek. I'm watching it. I don't care what you do. Look at your phone. Leave. I don't care. And then, uh, then I was telling my wife it was really good. And I was like, are you interested at all? And she's like, yeah, maybe. I was like, well, it's Patrick Stewart. And, you know, um, and then I ended up, I put it on for her. And I was going to go to bed and I ended up watching the whole thing again. And I'm like, this is the first Star Trek show ever that my wife wants to see next week. Well, congratulations. And that's, yeah. And I, I, I don't even, I don't even know how many episodes there are. Um, I don't care. We're getting a season two and Whoopi Goldberg's going to be in it. That's correct. Yes. So, um, yeah, I feel like we're back on solid, uh, solid ground with Star Trek again. And it's, it's a nice feeling. Yeah. I'm I'm going to tune in. I'm definitely going to be tuning in every week. Yeah. So now you said you, you ended the Who 37 podcast, but it's kind of changed into bat 77 because you like three letters and numbers. Yes. I mean, I kind of, I kind of did that as a homage, yes. But yes, I do, I, I do have a uh, a Batman 1970s podcast. It actually started out with me uh, reminiscing about uh, the filmation cartoons, uh, their his appearances on Scooby Doo, uh, the Power Records, of course. And I was actually going to just do maybe a few uh, episodes about the comics, but then. I, I thought, well, wait a minute. I really should do a deep dive into this, and it would make an interesting – I think it's a, a really good premise for a podcast. So it, it mutated to Bat 77, the 70s Batman podcast, where I uh, every week I, I, I do a chronological review uh, of all the Batman and detective comics that were published in the 1970s. And uh, right, I, I'm on a small hiatus. I'm going to be coming back in a few weeks. Uh, I'm right now I'm like in August 1970. So I've got a long way to go. Um, but you can find you can find me there um, talking about Batman. Uh, it's Bat 77, the 70s Batman podcast. I'm on iTunes, I'm on Stitcher, I'm on Spotify. Um, there's a Facebook page. You can find me there. And as always, you can follow me at Not In My Book on Instagram and Twitter. That is the official Caffeinated Comics social networking feed. You can also follow the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Caffeinated Comics, for all the news and conversations that are going on. And as always, you can listen to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, or just go to the Radio Misfits podcast network, radiomisfits.com, and click on the Lifestyle tab. We will talk to you next week.